Chuck Smeaton from the Royal Institution of Australia, and this is the Cosmos Briefing Podcast. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Ghana people, traditional owners of the land where I speak to you from today, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Today, Cosmos journalist Lauren Fuge reads a story that ran in Cosmos Weekly, and you can find a link to the story in the description. Wildlife tourism is the fastest growing sector of the travel industry, bringing in billions of dollars a year worldwide. In South Australia, tour operators and researchers have teamed up to protect a species they both love, white sharks. Three hours off the coast of South Australia, in the remote and rugged Neptune Islands, white sharks gather. These apex predators are drawn to these offshore islands near Port Lincoln by fur seals, thousands of which form breeding colonies in the island's rocky coves. And, in turn, humans are drawn to the Neptunes to dive beneath the waves and see the sharks. They've got charisma, says Andrew Fox, a white shark photographer, researcher and conservationist who operates Rodney Fox shark expeditions. It's not just the danger factor. They're hard to get to know and they hold their secrets. We still don't know a lot of basic biology about white sharks, even though we're trying really hard with researchers. The industry provides near-constant monitoring out in the remote Neptunes, which is a boon for scientists like Lauren Meyer from Flinders University's Southern Shark Ecology Group. Research and cage diving here in South Australia have gone hand-in-hand for decades, Meyer says. Without the tourism industry, we wouldn't have the support to undertake our research and in turn wouldn't know a fraction of what we do about white sharks. Fox is the son of filmmaker and conservationist Rodney Fox, who pioneered shark cage diving here in the 1960s. When Jaws hit the cinemas in 1975, people were suddenly keen to pay money to see white sharks, and they flocked to South Australia to do it. Today, SA is the only place in the country, and just one of five countries worldwide, where people can dive with white sharks, submersed in cages to get an up-close and personal experience. But the cage diving industry is really about the sharks, Fox says. Part of our mission statement for our whole operation, right from the beginning, from my dad's work back in the last century, was to collaborate with educators, conservationists and researchers to progress the understanding of great white sharks, which are so misrepresented in the media and the public, he says. In the early days, it was film production companies and occasionally large tourist groups who provided a platform for researchers to come out to the Neptunes. Nobody gave money for researchers to come and study great white sharks as a non-commercial species, Fox explains. But now they work directly with tour operators to get logistical support. In 2001, Fox co-founded the Fox Shark Research Foundation, which has since been working with CSIRO, SARDI, the South Australian Research and Development Institute, and the Flinders Southern Shark Ecology Group to gather data on sharks. By working alongside the cage diving industry, we have built outstanding data sets. We have a 20-year data set for the number of sharks they see on every cage diving expedition, Maya says. We have basically teams of observers that are monitoring the sharks nearly every day, year-round. Daily monitoring of sharks is part of the current tourism regulations, she explains, for the two businesses licensed to operate in the Neptunes. Rodney Fox Shark Expeditions and Calypso Star Charters. Maya says, The industry reports exactly how much bait is used, 
how many sharks were sighted and which ones, as they identify the individual sharks where possible. This data includes how big the shark was, if it was male or female, and if it accidentally took any baits. We get all of that information daily. These observations are reported to South Australia's Department for Environment and Water, as well as to the Southern Shark Ecology Group, led by Professor Charlie Hoover-Nears at Flinders. The results help inform regulations for tour operators. A study into shark residency was what really kicked off the research, Maya explains, promoted by a boom in the tourism industry around 2007, when tours began operating almost every day. Early on, Maya says, the industry was just a multi-day trip every one to two weeks. But as interest in seeing white sharks grew and the amount of cage diving increased to day trips nearly every day, the residency of white sharks at these islands also increased. Although the seal and sea lion colonies at the Neptune Islands are important feeding sites, white sharks are only temporary residents there. After the 2007 tourism boom, a 2011 CSIRO-led paper, co-authored by researchers Barry Bruce and Russell Bradford, found that sharks were sighted around the islands more often, and the duration of their visits also increased. This research led to tighter regulations on cage diving operators, limiting the number of days that they can take tourists to the islands. For example, regulations that flowed from the initial residency study allowed trips on only 10 out of every 14 days to give the sharks a bit of a break from interacting with the cage diving industry, Maya says. But recently, that number has been relaxed to 12 out of 14 days. Fox says that it's quite important that a lot of the research that they do ties back into analysing whether or not tour operators have a detrimental effect on the sharks. The sharks' welfare comes first, he says. A 2013 study led by Hooveniers found that cage diving activities also affected the swimming behaviour of white sharks in the Neptunes. They spend a significant amount of time close to tour boats, although the team couldn't conclude what flow-on effects this might have at the population level. A follow-up study in 2018, also led by Hooveniers, noted that sharks undertook more high-energy burst activities when close to tour operators for example, to chase a bait, although the overall impact might be small for individual sharks if the interactions are infrequent. An area of research concern is the shark's feeding behaviour, especially since tour operators use bait, such as large pieces of southern bluefin tuna guts and gills, as well as burley, minced-up tuna, to attract the sharks. The bait is used to bring the sharks within view of the cage divers, not to feed them, The bait is removed before the sharks can catch it, Maya explains. We wanted to understand if the sharks are sticking around for longer, is interacting with the cage diving industry changing their diet? As the sharks do occasionally catch the bait, is this impacting their diet and nutrition? Or if they spend all their time around the cage, are they not foraging naturally? A 2019 study led by Maya found that this was not the case. Cage diving does not appear to be shifting the diets of sharks. However, there are still limitations imposed on how much bait and burley can be used. The rules stipulate that on the rare occasion that a shark takes a bait, there must be a 15-minute review period in which baits and tourists are removed from the water. The cage diving industry here in South Australia is one of the most strictly regulated throughout the world, Maya says. 
Maya and other Flinders University researchers have also been investigating the effect of the cage diving industry on other animals in the Neptune Island ecosystem, which boasts more than 130 species of fish, marine birds and pinnipeds. Maya says that it's home to one of Australia's largest colonies of long-nosed fur seals. It's also an important nesting ground for a number of seabirds, and as one of South Australia's marine parks and sanctuary zones, it offers important habitat and protection for a number of different marine species. The group's research has found that bait and burley impacts other non-target species, such as the silver trevally. These fish aggregate around the cage and boats in huge schools, Maya says. While the burley is not impacting the sharks, it is having a big impact on silver trevally, and it's also shifted yellowtail kingfish residency and diet. Better understanding these impacts on non-target species is the focus of Josh Dennis, a PhD candidate within the Southern Shark Ecology Group, who is studying how the bait and burley affects silver trevally abundance, movement and growth. Maya says the research goes beyond uncovering a single impact or focusing on a single species. We need to know what an impact means for the next species or the community as a whole. She says, We're deploying underwater cameras along the seabed, extending around the cage diving vessels to look at fish behaviour at a small scale, and also across a number of offshore islands to explore fish communities at a large scale. Meanwhile, the cage diving industry continues to report observations 12 days out of 14. Both Rodney Fox Shark Expeditions and Calypso Star Charters operate out of Port Lincoln, with the majority of tourists going on a Calypso day tour, during which they typically view sharks for around 45 minutes in a cage just below the surface. Fox's operation, on the other hand, is more focused on submersible cages, getting people down to view sharks on the reef. Guests spend several days living aboard the boat, and every now and then, they have the chance to work alongside researchers such as Dennis, Meyer or Houveneers, who occasionally join Fox's expeditions, as well as Calypso's tours, to conduct research. But, Fox says, we also conduct research on their behalf, and we do a lot separately with our own research foundation, Fox adds. Tourists love to be part of that, even if it's just identifying and cataloguing the sharks, or allowing time to get biopsies or tags into the sharks. Simply by joining a trip, the tourists themselves fund the research. Without that tourism platform, Fox says, it's very expensive to get out to find such a rare, elusive animal. Maya agrees. She says that this kind of reliable access to an aggregation of sharks is only made possible by the collaboration with the cage diving industry. She's lucky enough to spend a couple of months a year out at the islands, with a lot of time beneath the surface. She explains... Most of the research I do comes from the cage, because I need to take a biopsy of white sharks to understand what they're eating. This involves being close to the shark, just a metre or two away, and using a modified spear gun to take a small sample of a shark's skin and the muscle underneath. From a single biopsy, Maya says, we can learn a lot about white sharks. We can do genetic analysis from the skin sample to see how big the population is and whether or not the number of white sharks in South Australia is increasing, decreasing or staying stable. We can also figure out how closely related our South Australian white sharks are to sharks from the rest of the world. Biopsies can also further inform researchers about the shark's diet, as well as indicate the amount of heavy metals and other contaminants in their system. Maya adds that the tourism industry in SA is also an excellent platform for education, 
because there's no doubt that white sharks have a PR problem. A lot of people, she says, are either frightened of them or feel like they're a risk to public safety, or even a risk to their fishing catches. Taking people out to see them in an environment that's safe, in a context where sharks are calmly and somewhat majestically swimming around without promoting that fearful biting image that plagued the 1970s and 80s, what we get is a real shift in people's perceptions of white sharks, and that does translate into conservation action. This is backed by research, according to a 2018 survey of cage diving participants, which found that emotional engagement during a tour can enhance people's knowledge of and attitudes towards sharks. Fox says that his business and foundation has been built on this exact platform. Education, conservation and research. It just goes hand in hand. He says, We make a lot of films and write a lot of journal articles and photographic features that go right through to literally hundreds of millions of people around the world. So it gives a lot of exposure to the state and the islands that we work at. There's also a real growing fascination now, but you need the education to go along with it. And even after 40 years of diving with white sharks, Fox says that there is still so much to learn. I don't get sick of them, he says. There are so many unknown questions about them still, and that keeps the magic going. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Remember that you can head to cosmosmagazine.com via the link in the description for more great content. You can also subscribe to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's only science print magazine, and Cosmos Weekly with its unique approach to how science, news and the economy intersect. Podcast listeners can get both products at a special price using the coupon code you will find in the description. Of course, you can watch and listen to all our Cosmos briefings via the link in the description too. And remember, if you support science and its communication, please support our work at the Royal Institution of Australia. I'm Chuck Smeaton, and today's article was read by Lauren Fuge. Thank you. Thank you.